Hello and welcome to BJGP Interviews. My name is Ewan Lawson and in this episode we talk to Professor Jane Gunn, who's a Chair of Primary Care Research at the Department of General Practice at Melbourne Medical School that of course is at the University of Melbourne in Australia and from February 2021 she will also be the Dean there at the Faculty of Medicine. So the paper is Matching Depression Management to Severity Prognosis in Primary Care, Results of the Target D Randomized Controlled Trial. The link, of course, for the paper will be available in the show notes, and you can also find it at bjgplife.com. Now, depression is a leading contributor to the global burden of disease, and obviously it's a massive problem for us in primary care, where generally it's um, identified and then managed. Stepped care approaches are recommended, but this randomized controlled trial looked at a clinical prediction tool which was developed to try to work out how best to manage the various depression options that exist to the severity and the likely prognosis in the individuals. I started by asking Jane to tell us a little bit more about the background to the study. Well, look, one of the things we know about um, primary care is that it's a very common part of that Um, job of being a primary care practitioner is looking after people with mental health problems Um, and in particular this uh, um, very very widespread problem of depression that we see every day in our clinics Um, and so this study was really prompted by us trying to help with the work of of looking after people with depressive symptoms across the entire spectrum of um, that depressive condition And we know that um, depression is a very heterogeneous sort of condition as it presents in primary care. And this study has been a culmination of many years of trying to work out, can we offer something um, that might help GPs with that task in the clinic, um, in the everyday sort of practice? And this is where Target D um, became, uh, you know, born, I suppose you'd say, Ewan. Yeah. So the underlying premise is this is a big common problem. But it's trying to get the right care to the right people. The, the ones who have got the, the most minor symptoms, you know, they need a different intervention to those that are most serious. So Target D was all about trying to trying to unpick that a little. Perhaps you could tell us a little bit more about what you did in the study. Yeah, so trying to unpick that a little bit. And I think one of the things that is at the key of it is that we were trying to see whether or not a self-administered tool, so asking um, some non-sort of intrusive questions, could um, help triage people towards the best sort of care for them and whether that could be done in a simple, cost-effective way. Um, and, you know, I think um, at the mostly we wanted to sort of help people find the treatment that was going to be the best for them in a way that we weren't asking them to unpack their entire life story. And I think, as we know in... Um, you know, GPs, we know that if we can spend time with people, if we can give them that uh, a lot of extra time, we can unpick a lot of the problems that they have in their lives. But that can't be done in a cost-effective way for everyone, as we know. There's just too much burden out there. Um, and so we were interested also in whether or not within the little tool that we've developed, could we ask a set of questions that were quite simple, easy to complete, um, done within a matter of a, a couple of minutes, whether that would be as um, sensitive, if you like, to identifying people with particular complex issues, um, you know, easily. And because we know that underlying many much depression, there's a lot of social disadvantage, there's often, you know, histories of trauma and abuse and 
all sorts of things that are very, very um, difficult and sensitive issues. But can we identify the people that have these issues without asking them when they're sitting in the waiting room or when they're prior to an appointment, really you know, deep questions that might be unsettling for them? And so that was another one of the tasks, just coming up with some um, simple non-intrusive questions that could help us to identify people that might benefit from um, very intensive care, uh, as well as those that might just, you know, um, benefit from having a pointer in the right direction for some self-help and some other sorts of support. Yeah, so in this in this particular study, how did you do it this time? How did you deliver that intervention? Yeah, so in this particular study, we delivered it using a tablet, an iPad in the waiting room. Um, and look, I think one of the things that was interesting about the study, we spent a number of years um, developing that little iPad tool and it became simpler and simpler and simpler over that time. And we worked with a group of patients and um, other practitioners testing that over the, the time um, to come up with something that was just easy to administer. So it's just a set of questions on an iPad that the person works through while they were waiting for their appointment generally. Um, and within a couple of minutes, uh, it, they'd received a little feedback about what they've put into the tool and a suggestion about um, where they might go for additional help. And also along the way, we assess their motivation to engage in treatment and also their confidence that they would be successful. So we had sort of, um, you know, infiltrated throughout the, um, the tool the principles of sort of motivational interviewing to see whether we could get the person engaged and, and activated, if you like, to take up the form of care. Um, and that uh, it, it is an interesting story is what we found out during the trial. Um, I think there's a lot more work to, to be done in, in doing in how we do that as well. Okay, so a patient comes in, they've, they've, they access this tablet questionnaire that's been developed over all, all this time, um, and that would steer them towards a particular um, set of interventions, whether they were mild, moderate, or severe. Now, my understanding is the mild and moderate ones are more, more kind of online self-help kind of um, treatments, and the severe ones a little bit more uh, clinician-led, clinician-involved. That, that's correct. And one of the interesting things about doing the trial is that we were wanting to test the effectiveness of the administration of the tool or, you know, the prognostic tool. But, of course, you can't test um, how good a tool is unless you deliver a treatment as well. And there's an interesting thing when you're sort of testing prognostic tools that you also need treatments um, to line them up to. And for the study, we... For target D, we used treatments that we knew were supported by randomised controlled trial evidence. And we were also trying this model of target D as um, one that was really focused on delivering uh, as collaborative care as much in line with the guidelines for collaborative care as we could to the group who were judged as having the likelihood of a severe problem um, and then delivering online versions of care to those with mild and moderate um, problems because we knew that there had been RCT evidence that the This Way Up program that we used for the moderate group um, and the My Compass program that we used for the mild group, that those two programs have both been successful in randomised trials. So we're really trying to look at, you know, coming up with a cost-effective way of delivering collaborative care 
um, because we know that you know collaborative care often isn't delivered because it's very expensive, and um, therefore you know while there's lots of trials on it, it doesn't um, it hasn't been rolled out very successfully into routine practice. So that's what was sort of at the heart of what we were trying to do. Yeah. So we should ask what what were your outcome measures? Uh, your outcome measure, and what did you find? Yeah. So the outcome was the primary health questionnaire or the PHQ-9, which I think would be very familiar to lots of your readers. Um, You know, we're not saying that's a perfect tool or measure at all, but it has been the measure that's been used for a lot of depression trials in primary care. Um, And our finding was a difference in in between the control and intervention groups on that PHQ-9 at three months of about, you know, one point. This is the thing. Now, this is where... Everyone sort of um, says, oh, well, you know, what, what does that mean? One point on the PHQ-9. Um, and certainly we uh, we've, we would, um, we're hoping it would be much larger, um, but we actually had set the study up to look at about a point two effect size between the groups. And we couldn't have a large difference in the PHQ outcome because we included all of the mild, moderate and severe. So, of course, as we know, people who score very, very low on the PHQ got hardly anywhere to go in terms of improvement, um, and so we're expecting to see most of the uh, decrease in score in the severe and complex group. So this start trial also had that complex sort of issue of being um, across the spectrum of depression and looking for a small difference because what we were trying to do was to come up with a cost-effective treatment. And sometimes people find it hard to get their head around the um, the fact that, oh, we should be seeing a larger difference on the PHQ-9. But, of course, we've included people with very, very mild symptoms. And um, we're we're tinkering, if you like, with how we deliver care to see whether we can optimise the way that we deliver care. Um, And we weren't anticipating that this was going to be a sort of blockbuster um, you know, may make a massive difference because the other thing in the study is that our comparison group is a group of people that also were very much engaged in mental health care. Um, and in the Australian context, people have very, very easy access to face-to-face psychological therapy and um, people enjoy that and they take it up um, in very, very large numbers and we were not able to stop them from taking that up in this trial. That was one of the just ethical um, you know, issues around the study that um, wasn't acceptable to, to anyone running it, that we could withhold that. So we have to keep that in mind too, that there's a lot of, a lot of noise in the background of um, psychological therapy in both arms of, of the study. Of course. Uh, that's an interesting difference, particularly compared to the UK, where one would certainly wouldn't argue that there's easy access to psychological therapies or they're well taken up across um, and that your control group had that um, had that difference. That's an important cultural difference, certainly when looking um, certainly where we're based just now here in the UK. Uh, and an important point, as you say, if people are very low on the PHQ-9, then the number's low already. So a difference of one is, you know, so I, I think we can I, I think we can comfortably make a case that's quite a success in terms of so the intervention looks to be effective. Um, what yeah. are the um, implications, wider implications for primary care, do you think? Um, and this uh, wider implications for practice here, Jane? Yeah, look, I think there are wider implications for practice because um, even though we saw that small difference in the two groups at at the whole of trial level, when we looked at the P 
people within that severe and complex group and we did what's um, called a case analysis where we look at the uh, completers which are adjusted, uh, quite a complex kind of statistical um, analysis that compares uh, like with like between the two the two groups. We saw a really strong effect of the um, so the collaborative model of collaborative care. So the people in that severe and complex group, as they had more of the intervention, more components of the intervention, they really did much, much better. And some of the, the differences there in the PHQ-9 schools were quite large. So now I think, um, you know, the, the challenge for practice is looking at how we get people to engage with that model of collaborative care and, um, how we can afford to deliver that in, in the setting of, of uh, constrained resources um, and how do we best use that, the tool, the type of tool that we've developed in the usual setting. You know, we gave it to everyone in the waiting room because it was part of the trial we needed to recruit numbers um, and we knew that if we just waited for GPs to sort of hand it out when they thought of it, we'd still be there, we'd still be recruiting now. Um, so it doesn't mean it has to be delivered in that that way. And so now we're looking at working through um, how's it best used? Um, well, could it be administered prior to the consultation and you know the, the findings provided to the GP, or are there many, you know, are there other ways that it, that it can be done? Um, and then looking at trying to, um, I think, work with the way that we look after people with mild and moderate symptoms. Because you might notice when you read the paper that uptake of the online um, treatments was very, very small. Um, the of completers of people that actually completed a module was, was very small. But there was quite a bit of people, you know, a few people having a look, um, having a bit of an investigation of the website, etc. Um, and you know, I think there's a lot of work to shift people from face-to-face primary care to online mental health care is going to take quite a bit of effort in the Australian context. I think probably internationally, I think that's maybe a feature of almost anything online that the yeah. um, people don't necessarily stick to it, and in particularly when it comes to clinical interventions. Um, it's a fascinating study. Jane, perhaps I, I know it's tremendously difficult, but perhaps you could, if you could summarise the key findings for us. Yes, look, I think we'll, what we've done is taken um, a tool that's delivered by an iPad uh, to assess the level of need of people whilst in the waiting room, especially for their level of depression care. Um, and we've matched them to either a form of treatment for low, moderate or severe depressive-type symptoms, uh, including online treatments as well as access to those with collaborative care, and then we've followed them up um, at 3 and 12 months to look at the difference in the PHQ-9, and we found a significant difference between those two groups, which suggests that this model of of helping people find care that's right for them at, at place and time that's right for them has worked um, and has been well well received in the primary care setting. Jane, that's a wonderful summary and thank you very much for taking the time today. Thank you, Ewan. Thank you very much for listening to this BJGP podcast. The original research papers and articles can be found at bjgp.org. The show notes and podcast audio can be found at bjgplife.org. Do share if you've enjoyed it. Subscribe via all the usual places, including Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or your podcaster of choice. Thanks again. Thanks again.